Hello. 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 And welcome, welcome to, to Laughbox. Laughbox, the podcast for the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. And now, here's your host, Chip Lutz. Well, here we are. It's time for Laughbox. Yes. Happy New Year. New Year, new episode. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, I've got two podcasts. One is Leadership Happy Hour, and I've got this one. And this episode is one that I uh, did the recording for Leadership Happy Hour, but I thought it was something that AHCH Laughbox would like because it's about training your brain. One of my New Year's resolutions was to uh, try to be a little more present, try to maybe meditate once in a while, but my brain is always going everywhere. Well, this episode's guest, Ariel Garten, Uh, created a product called Muse. It helps you train your brain, helps you realize when your brain is wandering here, wandering there. Fascinating conversation with somebody that is really, really smart. I know you're going to enjoy it as much as I did, so buckle up. Get uh, get a pencil and paper. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to Leadership Happy Hour. This is Chip Lutz, the unconventional leader. And today, we're going to talk to somebody pretty cool about something pretty cool on the show. I get to talk to Arielle Garten. We're talking about her product, Muse. I don't even know if you'd call it a product. I think it's more like a life-changing thing. So I'm really excited to have her on the show. Big cheers to you, my friend. Welcome. Thank you. It is awesome to be here. Well, uh, the awesome, yeah, it is awesome for you to be here. Awesome for me. Um, for my listeners, you know, I've, I've gone through your stuff. We talked a little bit, but if you could give them the hot skinny on who Ariel is. So Ariel, that's me. Um, I have a background in neuroscience and psychotherapy, and I'm best known as the, uh, one of the founders of an amazing device that tracks your brain while you meditate. Um, my background comes from both the arts and the sciences, so I've always been really fascinated by how we create experiences that allow people to transform and how we understand what goes on in the mind so that you can ultimately create the best life you'd like to. Wow. that's uh, You had that really down and concise. I like that. That's awesome because I would be like just wandering all over the place if somebody had asked me to introduce me, but um, you did. That was awesome. Um, I'm really excited you know, about our conversation today because it's something that I don't know anything about. I'm always interested in you know, how the brain works, what's going on in there, because uh, uh, I have no understanding of most things like that. So before we get into it, I'm just going to ask you like, just a random question just to get our brain going. All right. So in back in grad school, you know, you're you know, doing all your psychotherapy things. What was one of the craziest things like, you know, you, you like when you were re- you know, learning about something, you were just like, Man, I can't believe this is actually a thing. So I'm going to reference what I was doing outside of school at the time, and that was working with the inventor of the wearable computer, who was Dr. Steve Mann, and we had an early brain-computer interface system that we were using to allow people to control the music and the sound environment around them and to make music with their mind. So the, probably the most like mind-blowing moment was the moment of actually controlling stuff around you with your brain. Wearable computer? I have never heard of that, ever. 
That so the wearable com- that yeah, so the early cool. wearable computing movement is the thing that created the cell phone that you have in your pocket, the Fitbit that you might have in your wrist. Wow. Um, Steve Mann was the guy who literally invented Google Glass before Google did. Wow. That you just completely blow me away. I didn't know there was such a thing because I am going to Google that when we get off our call today. It's like wearable computer. Give me more. Awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, what you're doing now and, you know, you're, and, and the muse. Do I call it, do I put the the in front of it or I just say muse? Just muse. All right. Just tell me about muse. <laughs> awesome. So muse is a wonderful little device that helps you meditate. So all of us know that meditation is good for you, but many of us don't really know how to do it. You sit down and you try to meditate and your brain kind of bounces all over the place and you're like, eh, what am I supposed to do? What's going on in my mind? There's nobody in there telling me what to do. And you kind of get frustrated and leave. And so as a therapist, I was teaching people to meditate, but sucked at meditation myself. As a neuroscientist, I could see all of the evidence around why it was so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, struggled with the practice and my patients struggled with practice. And so in the creation of Muse, we created a device that could actually track your brain while you meditate and give you real-time feedback to let you know when you're in the meditation zone and focused attention and when your mind is wandering and then give you real data based on your brain after the fact so you can actually track, you can observe your mental process, you can begin or enhance your meditation uh, practice and be off to the races with it. So, so I saw the picture of it. So something that you wear, obviously, and it it attracts. But so as you're meditating, does it like say, hey, quit thinking about that, you know, go back to, you know, this or is that just like after the fact, it gives you kind of like, you know, this is what worked and this wasn't because I'm with you on the other part as far as like thinking about meditation is that um, I like it in concept. However, in practice, I've got like monkey mind. It's like all over the place as do most of us. Um, And having monkey mind is okay. All of our minds wander. The question is, what do you do with your wandering mind? So in a basic focused attention practice, what you're supposed to do is focus your attention on your breath. When your mind wanders, you then notice that you've wandered and then choose, instead of following your wandering thought, to come back to your breath. Except that when you meditate, your mind often wanders and you don't realize that you're wandering. And then one, three, five minutes, you're on the grocery list. And you're like, right back to my breath. That was completely my last meditation experience right there. <laughs> yes. So with Muse, what we're able to do is actually give you real-time feedback during the practice to let you know what your mind is doing and to guide you back to focused attention. So the metaphor we use with it is your mind is like the weather. So mm-hmm. when you're thinking, distracted on the grocery list, you actually hear it as stormy. And as you bring yourself back to quiet, focused attention, you actually quiet the storm. So the Muse device on your forehead, just like you've got a Fitbit on your wrist, this is a little device on your forehead, tracks your brain activity, sends that data to your phone, which then is able to interpret your meditation and give you the guiding sounds of your own mind. That is fascinating. So because I now I have to know like what are the sound what are the sounds like how does it do that I mean that's just like I, I I'm completely like bewildered on how this goes it, it it is super cool it really is amazing so uh the muse has sensors on your forehead and behind the ears mm-hmm. they are eg sensors the same thing that you have in an eg machine in a hospital mm-hmm. but these are just really small and sleek again really much very much like your Fitbit and when you meditate, the EEG sensors are able to detect the electrical activity of your brain. And they're able to know uh, when your brain is focused and when your uh, brain is now wandering. And so 
looking at just that very simple paradigm, is your mind focused or is your mind wandering? Mm. We're then able to assign sounds to the focused and assign sounds to the wandering and everything in between, and then create a soundscape that you really experience as your own mind. Um, and the storm picks up when your mind wanders and that's your cue to be like, oh, right, back to my breath. And then the sound's quiet. And then when your really quiet little birds come and chirp and really re reward and reinforce you for staying and maintaining this quiet state. I don't know if I would want to know what my mind sounds like. I'm, cause I'm just thinking like, what if I, you know, if I was like having, you know, I, I was started meditating and then I started like my mind wandered and I started thinking about that person that made me angry during the course of the day. I mean, I, I, so I would think like, what would the angry sound sound like? Tell me to quit being doing, uh, doing that. So I get back to the chirping birds. So it doesn't matter what the thought is. What we're just telling you is, is your mind wandering or is your mind quiet? Okay. And All so right. when your mind goes into the angry thought, you just hear the storm pick up. And what we're really reinforcing is it doesn't matter what the content is because at this moment, you're not going into the content. You're gotcha. choosing to let go of it and come back to the neutral space. Let right. go, come back to the neutral space. All right. So if I was angry, I wouldn't just start playing like heavy metal. That's, uh, that's good. <laughs> not I in always, this version. I always, maybe, uh, maybe a future upgrade. I only say that because my wife, she likes, you know, a little heavy metal. And so we're driving and she'll be like, have, have it on. I'm like, why are you listening to that angry music? She's like, it's not angry. I'm like, oh no, that music's very angry. It is very, very angry. Um, I'm more of a mellow 60s kind of guy. Anyway, so- so that sounds yeah really interesting. So have have people you know em, embraced this? I mean you know as far as you know seeing the or maybe we should start with the uh, the overall benefits of you know what you know, what this can do for you, and then we can get into the you know how people are you know catching on with it. So. Well, let's actually start with the have people embraced it because it's an easy question to answer. Oh, okay. There are literally hundreds of thousands of people who use the device regularly. Um, it's translated into five languages. It's used all around the world. Um, 200 different research institutions use it. There's over hundreds of, wow. there's hundreds of research papers that have been written with the device, research studies demonstrating its outcomes. So uh, Mayo Clinic has been running a study with breast cancer patients awaiting surgery to demonstrate that you can potentially decrease the stress of the cancer care process using it. So it's, wow. it's widely adopted. That is cool. I mean, and that's pretty neat. I mean, I, I, cause I was thinking about that as well as far as, uh, you know, with the associate, uh, association for applied therapeutic humor and, you know, like one of our sponsors every year is cancer, uh, cancer treatment centers of America. And they have a, you know, a big mind body, you know, um, uh, department that you know, you know, helps people, you know, deal with some of the stressors of cancer, you know, through that. And I was thinking when, uh, when, uh, I was reading through this, I was like, I wonder if CTCA knows about this. Cause it would be certainly something that I would think that, be really good for them to have. It may well be. And we have thousands of clinicians, doctors, psychiatrists, life coaches, um, uh, naturopaths, people who would regularly recommend meditation within the course of their own practice. Mm -hmm. um, and the patients would rarely do it. Now they can simply hand the patient a muse and say, here, you know, meditation would be helpful. Go meditate. Here's this thing. And it makes it very easy. <laughs> That's so, so that's what you, you put it like that. Meditation would be helpful. Now go meditate. You know? <laughs> now go meditate. <laughs> now go meditate. You know, but if you, you know, um, give them one of this, these, maybe they can actually do it. Um, all right. That's cool. I didn't realize it was, you know, um, all over like that. I mean, I knew that you'd been, you know, uh, publicized, you know, you'd done, uh, been a, uh, uh, done a TED talk and some other stuff. And so that's really cool that, you know, people get it and um, are, are using it. So, 
why would, you know, let's get into some of the benefits then of, you know, what meditation can do for, you know, you know, we can start with just, you know, like people, and then we can move maybe into more of like a leadership realm or if they're interrelated, we can just see how that, you know, meshes together. Sure. So there are over a thousand published scientific studies demonstrating the benefits of meditation, whether you're looking at its ability to improve concentration, to decrease stress, to improve productivity in the workplace, to improve GRE scores. You know, the benefits really go on and on and on. When you look at the particular practice, you know, it might seem like this is a very simple thing you're doing, but we can kind of break it down a little bit to understand how it can lead to some of these benefits. Mm-hmm. So In a simple focused attention on the breath practice, what you're doing is, as I told you, putting your attention on your breath, your mind eventually wanders because all our minds do, and you then notice that your mind has wandered, and rather than choosing to follow the wandering thought, you choose instead to bring your brain back to a neutral object, to put your attention elsewhere. Now, this simple exercise becomes really powerful because when our mind wanders, a lot of those wandering thoughts are negative, repetitive, stressful, frustrating, and not particularly helpful. Mm -hmm. So as your mind wanders into those zones, if you have the ability to actually say, nope, I'm going to choose to take my brain elsewhere, you then improve, you know, both your mental space and your physiology in terms of the impact of those negative stressful thoughts. So when you do the simple practice, you go from being on autopilot which is just your brain has thoughts in it and you assume that you're supposed to be thinking the thoughts that are in your head Mm -hmm. to, for some people for the very first time, recognizing that you can have control over the contents of your own mind, that you can choose the thoughts that you are thinking and choose the thoughts that you don't want to think. You can let go of the ones that you don't want. Mm -hmm. And once you do that, you can start to realize that all of the stories that you had in your life and in your head that you kept just thinking over and over again You can choose not to believe and not to buy into because they don't need to play. They don't have to be true. And the stories that you have about yourself don't necessarily need to be true and you don't need to replay them. So this starts to work wonders in liberating you from a whole set of preconceived notions that hold you back, a whole set of, you know, frustrating thoughts and ideas that often keep you stuck and have dramatic effects on your physiology when you become stressed about them and opens you up to a world of potential and possibility. I like that because I, I, I do realize that the, you know, the stories or what I say, the lies that we tell ourselves are the easiest to tell and they're easiest to believe. Uh, and that if I'm telling myself something about myself, certainly I'm going to believe myself because I know me, right? However, some of those storylines are just, they're, they're just crappy storylines. They really are. You know, thinking about, you know, some of the things that, you know, I know that for me in my, you know, uh, professional, my leadership life, sometimes my biggest, my own biggest barrier has been me and my, the way I think about things rather than, you know, taking a, a different view. So in, in those, I like, are there certain like, uh, say meditation playlist like if you had a certain story that you're trying to get past would is there you know a different you know meditation that you would do to get you know change that overall story or is it just the simple act of you know uh breathing and meditation you know do you understand what i'm saying that i understand what you're saying okay so so uh there are lots of different forms of meditation so you can use guided meditation for example to help direct your mind to a different set of thoughts Mm -hmm. um to you know inspire inculcate a new kind of thinking um the focused attention practice tends to be a sort of foundation practice and what you learn to do is to just 
let go of those thoughts and to not buy into them and to stop the storyline from playing. And you also learn to shift the relationship between your thoughts and your body. So typically we'll have, you know, a anxious thought and that produces an anxious sensation of the body or there's an anxious sensation of the body, which then produces anxious thoughts in the mind. Mm -hmm. And with meditation, you learn to be able to sit with sensation without triggering the body thought, body thought relationship without sending yourself down the spiral. So you can feel sensations in your body that you might've previously, you know, been upset about because you're like, oh no, this is anxiety. This thing is awful. I mm -hmm. don't, don't want to do that paper or talk to that person. Um, but when you can just recognize that your body has sensations, label them as sensations rather than creating stories around them, you can then start to work with your body and what comes through your life to be able to calm yourself down, calm your physiology, and not create stories about it in your mind. So is meditation then different from mindfulness, like a mindfulness practice, or are they interrelated? I mean, so because when you were describing it, it sounded like a lot like I would do like in a regular mindfulness thing is like, you know, trying to really pay attention to what I'm feeling, why I'm feeling it. And, you know, you know, taking some breaths, you know, during the, the course of it, you know, what's, uh, or was I meditating and I didn't realize it? You were doing both. Dum, 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 dum. Shut up. No way. Whoa. So I meditation... am so higher level. Bam. <laughs> there you go. You got a two for there. <laughs> so meditation is the practice. So meditation is the thing that you do regularly that uh -huh. can build the skill of mindfulness. So the definition of meditation is a practice or a training that leads to healthy and positive mind states. And there are lots of different forms of meditation. Mm -hmm. um, many of those forms of meditation build the skill of mindfulness. That's why some of them are called mindfulness meditations. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah, and exactly. mindfulness, if we just want to clarify further, is the present moment, non-judgmental, intentional attention to your thoughts, feelings, sensations, or surrounding environment. So when you're being mindful, you're being aware in the present without judgment of what's going on within you and in the world. Awesome. I had a, yeah, I had a guy on the podcast, oh gosh, a couple of months ago and we talked about uh, technology for mindfulness. He actually uses technology to help people become more mindful. And, you know, we went through an exercise where he had me hover my thumb over my Facebook app on my phone just to see like, how does that feel? What do you want to do? And I was just like, I want to hit the button. Um, so it was, uh, it was interesting to say the very least, but it was uh, a different take on, you know, uh, actually leveraging mind, you know, technology instead of using it to distract you from being mindful. Anyway, I went down a That's rabbit hole. Cool. We're not talking about that. We're talking about Muse. So, um, what would be the, you know, obviously you said that, you know, I can change, you know, if I'm practicing mindfulness, uh, med meditation, I can, you know, change those stories. I can release some of those stress, but what are some of the other things like, yeah, say organizationally let's say you know as uh are there organizations that are taking this to the next level where they're just like all right we're all going to take some time out here because we know this is good we're going to be a little less stressed maybe a little more productive or is uh we have have uh most organizations haven't traversed that to that place yet so a lot of organizations are coming over to the meditation side because the evidence around it is there. Um, Aetna did a study with their employees and demonstrated that uh, they got the cost of the meditation program back many fold in terms of productivity and health benefits. Um, so when we look at an organizational perspective, there's lots of studies that demonstrate that when you bring meditation into an organization, you improve, improve productivity, 
you improve teamwork. So when you let go of the stories about what somebody might be thinking about you or how they're going to hate what you just did um, or how you're frustrated at them, all uh -huh. of a sudden you can start to collaborate much more effectively. There's also a lot of studies looking at uh, absenteeism and presenteeism. So both increasing the number of days that somebody's in the office, as well as increasing the presence of somebody who's there, their ability to actually be present to their work and be on the job and do what they're supposed to be doing. Well, uh, so uh, to differentiate that, so to say like opposed to just, you know, the 40 hour week where you're there that time, you know, not all all not all of which time is productive time they're actually looking to see like you know what the application of this is for actually being present and productive time in that type of work week exactly presenteeism present i've never i've learned a new term presenteeism i like that that <laughs> you should you should actually you should write a book and call it presenteeism because that would you know i would i would buy that it's a lovely title it is really is i you know i've never heard it before but i'm going to start using it I won't, I will give you credit for it completely. It's not mine. No credit required. Oh no, I'm going to give you credit. Hey, I was talking, I'll tell everybody, I was, like, oh, I was talking to this person, Ariel, on my, uh, you know, podcast. She is so smart. She told me about presenteeism. I'm like, Shh. yeah, I'll, 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 uh, I'll give you props on that. Um, <laughs> so to continue on with organizations a little more, we've been doing a number of programs with uh, corporations using Muse. So we'll come in and we'll give people a headband for three weeks and uh, training in a program and you start to see people meditating together and you start to see teams actually talking about their meditation, making it a part of their daily routine, making it a part of their practice at the beginning of a meeting and really seeing the outcomes. There was a study that was done by the Catholic University of Milan um, implementing a Muse meditation program, and they were able to see significant outcome and benefits just from a short program. Really? That is, I mean, that is really cool. I, I think about things from like the world I grew up, and I know that like I grew up in the military, and you know, the military I grew up in, they, this would have been like, no, we're not doing this. But um, I've seen a lot of studies as of late where they're really trying to um, integrate mindfulness and meditation practices into the overall, you know, like stress reduction toolbox for, you know, uh, military people because they know that it works. Um, however, they found in the studies that it, uh, people are more accepting of it if they're told about it from another service member, which I thought was also fascinating. Yeah, you're seeing meditation roll into the military, both from a preventative perspective to help with stress reduction. Um, post, there's a lot of work on PTSD mm -hmm. um, and using meditation for PTSD. You're also seeing it actually roll into uh, performance improvements and helping people be more present, you know, be able to engage with their colleagues more effectively, manage their mind state when they're in the hardest possible time. Um, it's the same way that you see meditation commonly used with athletes now. I don't know. A, I can't think of a single, you know, truly high performance athlete who doesn't meditate. Interesting. I'd say I, I probably need to start meditating more. I just, you know, I, I try to be mindful, but evidently um, I need to work harder. So, which, <laughs> so is, you, which is stressing me which out. Which is stressful. Yes. Yeah, so you don't <laughs> need to work harder. You just have the opportunity to take some time to engage in a practice that you may find beneficial. They, that sounds much, much nicer, much, much nicer. So let's uh, look at it. Uh, when, you know, you're doing all this, I mean, what actually is going on in your brain? I mean, that's, you know, cause that's the part that it kind of, 
I don't really always get. I mean, we, you talked about some of the, the benefits, obviously, but you know, what is going on in your brain when this happens? Um, so what's going on in the brain is actually super cool. So in a basic focused attention practice, there's sort of a, often a dynamic at play between the prefrontal cortex, the front of your head, and your amygdala. So the prefrontal cortex is the area just behind your forehead, and it's responsible for your higher order processing, for your you know, organization, your planning, your attention, your inhibition. It's the area that sets us apart from you know, other animals. It's the part of us that is developed as humans. Mm -hmm. So the bad news is as you age, your prefrontal cortex thins. Um, but there's a study from Dr. Sarah Lazar at Harvard who demonstrated that individuals who have a long-term meditation practice can maintain the thickness of their prefrontal cortex even as they age. I'm waiting for the uh, mic to drop. I, I, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I had like a stunned silence on that. So it, I'm, I'm in my 50s. Am I too late? Am I, is, my, is it too thin already? It's never too late and it's not too thin. So there's another study by, um, you're doing just fine. There's another study by Dr. Eileen Leaders and she looked at aging in the brain and meditation's ability to reverse what aging looks like in the brain. So she did an MRI study of meditators, long-term meditators and non-meditators. Now she defined a long-term meditator as somebody who'd been meditating for five years. Um, and when she looked at the brains of these long-term meditators, they looked like they were on average 7.5 years younger than the brains of non-meditators. Really? Yeah. So that at any crazy. point, totally crazy. And at any point you can start your quote unquote long-term meditation practice, <laughs> get five years in and potentially gain a few years. Well, I, I, mean, I say that tongue in cheek, but, but it's a you know, fascinating outcome. Well, and I, but that makes you know, quite a bit of sense to me in that my mom, yeah, she's been meditating. I remember her, she had a meditation group that she you know, went to every Tuesday night when I was growing up. My dad actually would call it seance. Hey, you going to seance tonight? Cause he never really, it was kind of funny. He, he only did it to razz her a little bit, but you know, she's in her eighties and she is really, really, you know, uh, mentally with it. So she must have like a thick cortex. I, I can't comment on your mom's cortex. I haven't personally seen it. <laughs> but there is the potential that meditation has conferred benefit over time. I guess you've been doing it over, you know, five years. That's for darn sure. So that's, uh, that's interesting. So, you know, in those studies, then, you know, thinking about the long-term brain health, uh, have they been able to correlate that with being able to fight Alzheimer's or, um, you know, dementia in older people, like people that, uh, like are people that meditate, do they have less occurrences of Alzheimer's dementia or memory loss than, um, other people? And we'll be right back with that fascinating interview with Ariel. But now it's time for Fun Facts. Fun Facts, where I share facts about humor, laughter, sometimes the absurd. But since we're talking about meditation, I'm going to share a fact about meditation. And this comes from the website mindworks.org. Fact is, meditation makes you happier. People who meditate generally lead happier lives than those who don't. Meditation is known to enhance the flow of constructive thoughts and positive emotions. So you feeling down? Turn it upside down and meditate. Hey everyone, this is Paul Ozinka, president of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor, inviting you to join us this May 14th through 17th at our annual conference in New Orleans. It's gonna be awesome. 
The theme this year is diagnosis happiness. So we've got experts from positive psychology, neuroscience, therapeutic humor, even comedy, sharing their wisdom on the relationship between humor and happiness. Now, of course, no conference can be all work and learning. So we're going to be right there in the heart of the French Quarter. So you can sneak off, grab yourself a beignet and see all that New Orleans has to offer. Can't wait to see you there. And now we'll get back to that interview with Ariel. And the lead-in question was about meditation and Alzheimer's. So let's get back to it. Um, so there are a number of studies that are starting to look at that. And we're beginning to see correlations between meditation and the potential to, um, you know, abate age-related cognitive decline. So it looks positive in that direction. Right. Um, and certainly it couldn't hurt. And when you look at the rest of the literature around what meditation does in the brain, at any age, even a short intervention of meditation can be helpful. So there's another study from, um, again, from Dr. Sarah Lazar, and she gave people an eight-week course of mindfulness meditation. Mm-hmm. And uh, she saw that just after eight weeks, there was an increase in the gray matter of their brain. So the gray matter is the number of connections that you have in your brain. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, Einstein had more gray matter than the average individual. So gaining gray matter is probably a really good thing. (laughs) Gray matter, good. No gray matter, bad. Definitely no gray matter, super bad. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you needed to explain it to me because I'm not, I'm not that bright. I don't have as much gray matter as Einstein, but um, (laughs) so if somebody uh, wants to start getting involved with a meditation practice, I mean, what are some of the easiest ways I mean, cause I, you know, I obviously recommend getting them the muse and we'll get to that at the end. However, um, for the person that's like, I don't know if it's really for me or not, you know, maybe I could try it out once or twice. What are some things that they could do just to start, um, getting a little bit deeper into it to see if it's really for them. So the simplest instruction is put your attention on your breath, notice when your mind is wandered and return it to your breath and just set a timer for a very short period of time to start. Don't do a 20 minute meditation. Start for three minutes okay. and just do that for three minutes. Do so that just, a couple days for three minutes. So not to have like any one particular thing that they're meditating on, just like concentrating on their breath. Um, so the, the breath is the one particular thing you're meditating on. Um, so you put your attention on your breath, your mind wanders and it returns. And the easiest way to keep your attention on your breath is simply counting your breaths. So you can count, you know, in, like in one, out two, in three, out four. And that will just keep you very tightly focused on your breath. Um, some people, you know, will keep counting for their first year or two of meditating and then let go and just keep focus on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also, so you can do an eyes closed practice where you're focusing on your breath. If you've heard of a mantra based meditation, that means that somebody's focusing on a word. So you can mm-hmm. focus on a word or a phrase. So you might focus on, you know, a positive phrase like, Uh, I feel good or the word love. Um, And then when your mind wanders from it, you come back to it. And what you're really doing is you're training your attention. Mm -hmm. So your ability to keep your attention on one thing and you're training your metacognition, your ability to notice when your mind wanders, to really observe the process of your own mind. And then you're allowing yourself to disengage from that wandering mind and come back to your neutral object. So, what if, all right, so if I start with the counting one and I like in one, out one, is it in one, out one, in two, out You two? can just count. I, okay. I mean, nobody can. What happens if you lose count? 
Uh, so that means that your mind has wandered. Um, so a common thing to do is to count to 10. And when you get to 10, go back to one. And often you'll find yourself at 14, which means your mind has wandered away from the task. Okay. That makes sense. Cause I'm glad you, you pointed that out. Cause if I got to 14, I would think, man, I'm doing really good. Oh, I'll start over again. So, you know, if it's, yeah, set the limit. Cause I would think that if you're counting to like, if you did three minutes in that amount of time, you know, you could easily get to a hundred, which might be kind of cumbersome in counting. So I, I would think that if I lost count, I would just start over again. And I would probably like have a negative story. I was telling myself like, you know, Chip, you just, you can't do this. You know, you just, you know, so, but keeping it smaller would be, would be easier, obviously. Good stuff, man. So I, I didn't ask you actually how you get involved in all this. I should have started off with that because it's like, it's such an all, you know, you talked about the walking, uh, uh, the strap on computer. I don't think it was called strap on <laughs> wearable um, computer, wearable computer. Definitely not called the strap on computer. Although that would have been marketable. Um, so I, how, I mean, cause like you're going through school, was it that that spurred you into this? Because it's just, it's, it's so, you know, the, the, the concept and putting this product together and getting out to people is so much different from anything I've ever heard that the path had to been like really um, strange. It, it could have been just like a linear path. No, it, it wasn't linear. Um, so I was always an entrepreneur, you know, always, want, always making stuff, always wanting to bring it to people. Um, I started working with Steve with this early brain-computer interface system, and the original brain-computer interface technology became the foundation for what ultimately became Muse. And uh, after working with this, I sort of stood back and said, oh my God, this is incredible. Like this technology has so much potential. We need to bring it to the world. Mm -hmm. And I got together with my co-founders for Muse, Chris Amini, who is an unbelievable engineer and Trevor Coleman, who is like the business guy who also knew how to make great experiences. Uh -huh. And the three of us literally sat in Trevor's basement, you know, week in, week out coming up with what we could do with this technology. Uh -huh. And originally we were trying to control like lighting, sound, stuff in the world with mm -hmm. the tech, with your mind. So yeah. you focus on the light, the light gets brighter. Relax, the light gets dimmer. Mm -hmm. And we ultimately recognized that as cool as that was, the real value of this technology was not controlling the world outside of yourself. It was learning to control the technology inside of yourself. Yes. Yeah. And that we had the opportunity when we were telling people to focus and relax and the light changed or the sound changed to actually show people what was going on in their own mind and to kind of open the black box of the brain and make the intangible processes in the in their tangible and be able to give people a reflection or a mirror into their own states whether you're focused whether you're relaxed where your brain is going and from that muse was born that is really cool because like if you had done it the other way with the lighting, say I wouldn't have been where I wouldn't want to get up and turn on a light. I just would have been trying to like turn it on with my mind, you know, like getting myself angry. So it turn on <laughs> and see, so it's smart. It's smart that you did it a different way because I would like be sitting there because I'm a guy that I remember when my kids were young and we had and, like the remote control was across the room. I'd yell up to my son be like, Hey, Christian, come here. And he'd run downstairs. I'm like, Hey, will you give me the remote control over there. He's like, yeah. Okay, dad. And I was like, ha it's great to have minions. So <laughs> since they're all gone, see, I would probably be doing the same thing, but I would be using that. I'd be like trying to turn the light on. You're, you're, see, you're super smart. You're like, man, how did I end up on a podcast with this guy? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. 
<laughs> it's like, that's borderline child abuse. Not really. There's a rite of passage, you know, for children. Anyway. I, I think I have been guilty of like the other day the milk spilled and I asked my three-year-old like, hey, can you go get the cloth over there? And, and he's like, I'll get the cloth. I'll clean it up. This cleaning is so fun. I'm like, score. Yeah, exactly. My grandkids now, they're like, oh, this is fun. I'll help you clean. I'm like, good. Yes. Keep doing that. Because I know when you turn 13, you will not. Yes. Awesome. Well, I really enjoyed you know talking to you. I mean, so much great information. I'm really, you know, it makes me, I, truthfully, um, I'm going to actually order one of your products, one of the muses. I want to say the muse, like the Google, but I'm going to say, I'm going to order a muse. But then it sounds like it's amusing. No, I'm going to order the, I'm going to order a muse. I will put nothing in front of it. I'm going to do it. Um, awesome. Yeah, it'll be cool. Because, yeah, you know, it's like something that I've always kind of struggled with, something that I want to do, but, you know, uh, I don't, haven't had the discipline to really do it. And so this, you know, will help me be a little more disciplined in getting that done. That's awesome. literally why we built it. Because there are so many people who could benefit from meditation, but have had difficulty getting into the practice. And so this is the thing that's just like, oh, this is what you do. And it makes it really tangible and really easy. Awesome. Now, where do people, if they want it, they want to contact you, they want more information, where do you want them to go? Uh, if you want to check out Muse, you can find it at choosemuse.com. Nice. And if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Instagram at Ariel's Musings, Twitter, Ariel.Garten, and LinkedIn, Ariel Garten. Very, very cool. Well, like I said, I have really had a really good time talking to you. Super, super. I like talking to smart people because they up my game and expose me to things I didn't know before. And I know it's the same for my listeners. Um, but if we were really at a bar drinking, I would give you some kind of drunk dare. But since we're not, I'm just going to ask you a few random questions for my overstuff Would You Rather book. Are you game? Game on. All right. I'm go, I, will, I always apologize in advance because I just never know where this book is going to open to. Okay. So. I'm going to drink some water in, in right. lieu of my beer. <laughs> All right. First question. Would you rather inherit a piece of land between two battling countries or inherit a piece of land near an active volcano? Uh, definitely near an active volcano. Okay. What yeah, between say? two battling countries, um, there is, it's just hatred. I mean, there are people who, who hate one another um, going at war with one another. Why would you ever want to be in that scenario? Near an active volcano, you have the opportunity, like so many cool Airbnbs right in the middle of a lava field in Hawaii, to at least in times when the volcano was not active, be able to experience the extraordinary, <laughs> extraordinary movements of nature and to be close to that. You really so, took that so to a, a whole higher level. Um, you're classing up, would you rather? I like that. All right. <laughs> Second question. I don't know if you'll be able to class this one up. All right. Would you rather be caught walking nude on a beach by a policeman or have your horn get stuck while your car is behind a gang of hell's angels? 100% be caught walking nude. Doesn't bother okay. me in the least. All right. Good to know. All right. Um, all right. Here you have kids. Clearly the water has <laughs> loosened me here. <laughs> all right. Last question. Would you rather have socially reclusive kids or kids who are angry bullies? Socially reclusive, 100%. Yeah, me too. I don't, nobody likes a bully at all. Well, I really have enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for spending a little time and sharing your enormous brain with me on the show. <laughs> My sincere pleasure. Now that it's well hydrated. Because <laughs> that makes a difference. It really does. I, you know, It so. really does. Uh, 
so if your brain is only slightly dehydrated, like a two or 4% loss of dehydration, it can decrease your reaction times by up to 30%. See, there we go. And that, my friends, was <laughs> your final big brain thoughts from Ariel. Thank you so much. My sincere pleasure. That was a lot of fun. So there you go. Fascinating interview with uh, Ariel Garden. I'm going to encourage you to check her out. I'll put all her information in the show notes. And she is offering uh, kind of like an ambassador club. If you're interested in the Muse, uh, click on the link. You'll get, uh, I think, 10% off. Um, yeah, check it out. Uh, you got something you want to hear on the podcast? Reach out. You can always get me at chip at unconventionalleader.com. And so until next time, this is Chip Lutz saying, we'll keep the laugh on for you. Thanks for listening to Laugh Box. If you'd like to learn more about AATH, visit our website at www.aath.org or email the host at chip at unconventionalleader.com. And if you'd like to be particularly awesome, leave us a review on iTunes. And or tell your friends about how awesome the podcast is, unless you didn't think it was awesome. And then just keep it your little secret. Or tell them it was awesome and then Laugh to yourself about how you're going to be wasting an hour of their time while you're out doing something productive, like handing out heads of cabbage at a Miley Cyrus concert. <laughs> Thanks again for listening, and may the farce be with you.